morning is the whole of John 9. So if you'd like to follow along with me in your newsabouts. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. How he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, They summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already. And you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him. 
and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you can claim you see, your guilt remains. Thank you, Wendy. That was an epic Bible reading, whole chapter of the Bible. Keep it open, because that's what we're going to dive into. Heavenly Father, we just pray as we open up your holy word that you would speak as you want to do clearly to our hearts, to reorient them to you, to educate our minds, to renew those, to provoke our souls to be more aligned with Jesus and to shape our lives to more reflect him in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One thing I do know, one thing I do know. Uh, as a church, we're looking at some goals. Uh, as a church, we're looking at our nine goals. And uh, we're uh, looking, uh, reminding ourselves of being loving in goal number six and number seven. And number nine, these are the nine goals of our church, being inclusive, loving and supporting Church family, encouraging and participation by all, being a loving and welcoming church, accepting all, actively demonstrating Christ's love to all. Um, We've spent a lot of time on being better together, and we concentrated for last month on that, so I'm not going to dwell on this. What I really want to focus is on goal number four today, that we are individually and corporately committed to sharing God's plan of salvation, that we are individually and corporately committed to sharing God's plan of salvation. And I just want to say these words to you. At the end of this, I want you to all be able to say, one thing I do know. One thing I do know. In verse 25 of our reference here, uh, this man is under inquisition by the religious leaders. And they're saying, tell us about this man. Is he a sinner? Where does he come from? All these things. This person says he doesn't know a lot. But he says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Friends, I've got great news for you today. Never underestimate your personal, 
persuasive story of how Jesus touched your life. Never underestimate the power and the persuasiveness of when you share simply how Jesus has touched your life. Even in the midst of this incredibly hostile environment, this man's testimony was so powerful and so able and so convincing. It was interesting, I gave my life to Jesus on the basis of a man's testimony. Uh, I was in a scripture class when I was 15 and it was a raucous riot to which I may or may not have contributed. I was one of those students. Anyway, our scripture teacher, Bill Perry, who'd come from Hornsby to share with us, or try to share with us God's news. We're all changing names. Every week we're a different person. I was David Keckwick one week and I was somebody else. I was Brian Dobson another week. Everybody was moving around, changing chairs, changing identities. All It was an absolute debacle. But as he sought to control the, the mob that we were, this, this throbbing throng of lunatic near nine students, he, he said this one day, he said on the 2nd of November in 1972 at... 10.40 in the morning in classroom 19 in the mathematics block of Forest High School, he said, and it went, up, went out from, the, from, the, from that classroom with the words, he said this, Jesus Christ can change your life. I don't know anything else he said other than you need to step out in faith. I can't remember a single thing that we learnt that year. He said, Jesus Christ can change your life. I need that. That was a personal, powerful, persuasive story of how Jesus had changed his life. And he said, I invite you to discover that. And from that moment on, I began a Christian journey that changed my life. And within 10 months, I'd been called to ministry by the age of 16. And so because somebody in the midst of hostility and lunacy and year nine behaviour. Some of our teenagers over here understand what I'm talking about. Year nine behaviour, it's particularly challenging. Friends, one thing you do know, what, is your, what can you summarise in a single phrase about how Jesus Christ has touched your life? See, there's many things that we don't know. This man said, I don't know. They kept, they kept on asking him, where does he come from? You know, all of this. And he said, I don't know these things. Friends, there are many things we don't know. My greatest fear is waking up one, one day and actually finding that I've been seconded to the panel of Q&A <laughs> on the ABC. Because there's a whole lot of smart people there. They're like really erudite and intelligent and they've thought through their positions which mostly are completely opposed to what I believe. I am, I am by God's grace, God's dimwit and you know I'd be sitting there, I'd be an intellectual midget amongst giants and I'd be going I don't know, they'd be saying oh, what do you say pastor? I don't know but what do you say about this? I don't know what do you say about climate? I don't know I don't know much but I know Jesus and so what do we know? Friends, there's so much we don't know. There's no use saying, I don't know the answers to the complex questions of life and society and global politics and all those things. And therefore say, I've got nothing to say. You've got plenty to say because you've got Jesus. 
And you need to say, one thing I do know is Jesus and how he's touched my life. And you need to be able to summarise that in a phrase. Bill Perry said to me, Jesus Christ can change your life and it changed mine. This man says, I was blind and now I see. Some man of God has touched me. We know that. One thing we do know, we know Jesus. Jesus is the one that's got the reputation. The church's reputation is in tatters. But Jesus' reputation is not in tatters. Because Jesus is the name above all names. Jesus is the one to whom all knees will bow. Jesus is the name, the only name under heaven. Acts 4.12 tells us by which people must be saved. It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You have, if you know Jesus, a personal powerful, persuasive statement to share with the world. One thing you do know, what is it? See, this man had been misunderstood and judged from birth. Look at the, look at the text. Look at verses 1 to 2 and even 3. As he went along, Jesus saw a blind man, blind from birth. His disciples asked him, note, what the disciples have assumed. They've assumed exactly what the Pharisees have assumed over in verse 34, that somehow sin, this person's sin or his parents' sin, it's kind of like a karma doctrine really, has been the reason why this man is born blind. So his disciples have a, have a worldview which is completely inaccurate that somehow this man is responsible for his, his blindness or his parents are and it's got to do with sin. Who, his disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents that he was born blind? Over in verse 34, the Pharisees were having a, an avalanche attack on him. They, then they replied, verse 34, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened. God's going to be glorified in all of this. You see, friends, when we're sharing good news with others, let's, let's, it's very dangerous for us to be presumptive about how a person's life is the way that it is. You know, sometimes I think as the Christian church has been far too quick to judge and far too quick to want to throw stones at people. Sometimes we want to pigeonhole and pillory people without empathy and understanding when the key thing they need is just the touch of Jesus in their life. And this man had this this incredible personal touch of Jesus. Look at verse 6. This is what happened. An incredible thing. After saying this, now imagine if you were the man and you couldn't see what was going on. This would be like a bit of a freak out. This would be like, what's he doing now? He's spitting. Where's he spitting? Spitting on the ground. What's he doing? Looks like he's making a mud pie. What's he doing with the mud pie? Get up. Well, what's, it, what's Jesus doing? This is, the, this is my quiet dialogue that never actually happened, but I imagine it could have. What's he doing with the mud pie? He's got it in his hand. He's standing in front of me. What do you think he's going to do with the mud pie? Bang. Mud pie in the eye. That's what he copped. A mud pie in the eye. This man's testimony. So Jesus does this um, 
most amazing thing. He spit on the ground, he made some mud with the saliva and he put it in the man's eyes. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sense. So the man went and he washed and he came back seeing. So he had this unique and personal encounter with Jesus. It was, this was a transformation. The change in his life was visible, not only experienced to him, but visible to others. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, <laughs> and he looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Friends, the touch of Jesus in our life needs to be visible to others. They need to be able to say, What's going on? there's something in you. There's something about your life. There's, I've encountered you, but you are somehow different to people. And so we live the different life, the Jesus-touched different life. And, and people are drawn in by that. And they're going, there's something different about you. There's something. And then comes Jesus. That gives us the opportunity. We don't get the opportunity unless we live the radically different life. It's when we live a provocative life, a life that is that's guided and shaped by the principles of Jesus in this world, that people will want to know what's going on inside us. And we can share that it is Jesus. So if we've had the transformational touch of Jesus, we need to live the transformed life. It needs to be evident to those around us. It needs to be one that draws people in. And then they talk to us and then we get to share with them. He didn't know much about Jesus, but he knew his experience of Jesus. And he was bold and he grew in his boldness at, at sharing. And so in verse 11, he gives his little testimony. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and now I see. And of course, he doesn't even know where this man is. Where is this man? He said, I don't know. Doesn't know much about Jesus. But he has a plain and simple, powerful testimony. They press him. They press him. Look from verse 17 onwards, they turned again to the blind man and said, what have you got to say about him? He doesn't have much, but the man, he's a, he's a prophet. Why would he say that? Because if he's got an Old Testament paradigm, it is the prophets who have been sent by God that are specially anointed to bring God's message and to do God's will. So obviously in his thinking, he's not thinking this is the divine son of God, that this is a a revelation that's going on. He just thinks this man is clearly from God. He's been sent by God. He must be a prophet. The power of God worked through the prophets. The power of God worked through this man. So he makes this assumption. It is an uninformed assumption, but it's a fair assumption. He assumes that this person, of course, is a prophet. They press him in verse 25. We know he's a sinner. Of course, he did it on the Sabbath. How narrow-minded is that? Wow, I'll talk about religious spirits in a minute. Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I know is I was blind and now I see. What is the one thing that you know? What's the one thing you know about Jesus? How he's touched your life will be a little bit different to how he's touched my life. What is it the one thing that you know about Jesus that if somebody said, what do you know about Jesus? You say, I don't know everything. But I tell you what, there's, some, there's one thing I know from my experience, how he's touched my life. 
And I want to tell you this. One thing I do know. It's powerful. It's persuasive. It's our testimony. And of course, that goes on. And he grows in boldness. Let's go down to verse 27. Look at the growth. He's going from this nebulous, I don't know much, I'm touched. And then he goes on. He starts to grow in boldness. He answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? It's getting a bit cheeky here. right? Starting to poke the bear. Then, of course, this is the response to what people do who disagree with other people. They hurled insults at him. Happens in our society on an absolutely colossal, colossal scale in our current community. People who disagree with other people hurl insults at them at unbelievable rates. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples, we are the disciples of Moses. Then the man continues, verse 39, look at him growing in boldness. The man answered, now, this is remarkable, right? He's really putting these guys in their place. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to a godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If it were not from God, he could do nothing. And it's interesting. So he grew in boldness. And you might think, well, you know, I need to grow in my boldness here too. How many people need to grow in boldness in sharing Jesus? How many people have got excess boldness that they can share? Can I have those people that are just dripping in boldness? I want those people who are just overly confident. And if you've got breath, they're just, Jesus is coming right at you out of their mouth. Can I have a, can I have a show of hands of the overly bold and the overly confident? Now can I have a hands of those who need a little bit of confidence and need a bit of boldness and would love some prayer for it? I've got both hands up, not because I'm praising God, because I'm a sinner and I need it. You might think, well, the Apostle Paul was bold. The Apostle Paul was terrified. You might think, but he was bold. He preached here and preached there and got in jail. He was terrified. He's in the Ephesian jail. I'm going to preach on this in a couple of weeks, so I won't throw all my good things out there now. All right? Just a couple. Wet your appetite. Chapter 6, verse 19, you don't need to look it up. You're going to get it soon. He said, pray for me. He's in chains. He's already suffering. He's intimidated. Pray also for me, he ends his letter to the Ephesians. Pray also for me that when I speak, words may be given me. How many people need that? That when you're in the middle of trying to say something about Jesus, some words need to come from somewhere. How many people, yep, who's, yep, you all got it all planned out. No, not us. We need words given to us. Whenever I speak, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. He needs to be prayed for that even the Apostle Paul, he needs words given to him and he needs a fearlessness. For which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. We should be praying for each other in our life groups. That we get courage. And that we are able to share the good news of Jesus fearlessly. And it does. you might think, well, I've had such a terrible life. People don't want to listen to me. I'm like the sinner of sinners. Hello, this is what God, he specialises in this. This is the woman who had a litany of lovers. It was a long list. 
Jesus tells her, reminds her that she's onto a fifth. She gets changed by Jesus, the woman at the well. She's Samaritan. Jesus loves everybody, even people with a long history of sin. He loves them, loves to change their lives. Don't tell God today that you've got a long history of sin. He's covered it by the blood of Jesus. He wants to transform your life and make you bold in Christ. That's what he wants to do. She had bucket loads of sin. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Why do they believe in him? We can all read. Come on, somebody be brave. Somebody be fearless. Because of the woman's testimony. This is the woman with the litany of lovers. This is the woman that everybody in the whole of the, of the town thought, you've got to be joking. Who'd listen to her? I wouldn't give her one minute of my time. What's she got to say about my life? Many people believe because of her testimony. Many people can believe because of our testimony if we'll only have the courage to share one thing I do know about Jesus. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, that's what you've got to do. They were led to Jesus. Her testimony pointed them to Jesus. So they went to Jesus. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers because all we want to do is point people to Jesus. And then Jesus will do the rest because we can't do the rest. We can't convert people. We can't do any of that stuff. We've just got to live a life that draws attention to Christ. So in our hearts, we need to revere Christ as Lord. We've always got to be prepared to give an answer, the one thing I do know answer, to everyone who asks us for the reason of the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Don't hurl insults at people that disagree with your religious and political views. Anyone home? Do it with gentleness and respect, says the Bible. Keep a clear conscience. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour be ashamed. Live lives that bring credibility. Got to lives that bring lives that who point them to Jesus. Pharisees can't stand it. They had a religious spirit. They pushed back against this person. Note this: that people with religious spirit hate the Holy Spirit. People with a religious spirit hate the power of God. They just can't stand miracles. They can't stand God moving in power in people's lives. They think it's all just nonsense. But the Bible says it's the truth about what God's doing in the world today. They disbelieved his testimony. See verse 22. They had already had the, they'd already had the bullet lined up. They knew what they were going to do. If you aligned yourself with Jesus, you were going to get it in the neck. They had already predetermined and planned what they were going to do. Look at verse 22. His parents said because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Why? Because they had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So these people had a predetermined prejudice and a predetermined punishment to lay on those people that would um, speak an alignment with Jesus. Um, Verse 24, look at verse 24. The second time they summoned the man... This is an ongoing dialogue. It's getting repetitive by now. Second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. Do you know what they wanted to hear? They wanted to hear their truth. 
not the truth. They wanted to hear their truth. Not, that is the spirit in the age in which we live. When you're dialoguing with people, all they want you to say is their truth. So they said, we know this man is a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. Tell us what we want to hear. And he keeps telling them the truth, Jesus. They want to hear their truth, the Jesus should be dismissed. So, of course, they ridicule him. They say he was steeped in sin. They throw him out and Jesus finds him and reveals himself to us because the touch of Jesus is a gradual, wonderful and ongoing development in our lives. Never underestimate the persuasiveness of your personal story when sharing Jesus with others. One thing I do know. What is the one thing you do know about Jesus? What can you say in a phrase or a sentence that's true, so true for your personal life? One thing I do know. If we all knew it, and prayed fearlessly for each other that we would be able to share that truth, we would be able to better be corporately and individually committed and effective in sharing the good news of Jesus. One thing I do know is Jesus, because he is the hope for humanity. He is the saviour of the world. He is the healer of the human heart and he is the answer to life's deepest questions. The one thing you do know is Jesus and how he's touched your life. Amen.